When Vernon and Debbie Newman were younger, they had a life-changing experience. Some years later, they had another life-changing experience. We're going to speak about both of them. I'm John Bradshaw. This is our conversation. Vernon, Debbie, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you for inviting us. us. I know we're going to have a fun time talking about some experiences in your lives that I think many people can relate to Mm. and maybe everybody needs to relate to. So why don't we start right at the beginning of this story? Take me back to where you think this start is. Go ahead, babe. Okay. Well, um, I guess I can say it started when um, Vern and I first met each other. We were in elementary school, and um, he was the new boy in school. Um, moved to the area, and we, um, a group of us that were growing up in our area just became really good friends. We all hung out together, and I got older, and I think he noticed, <laughs> so... Um, we started a small relationship, and um, that relationship grew into one that was not um, a healthy relationship. Sure. And as a result of that, um, we had a son. We had a baby boy. How old were you at the time? I had just turned 20. Okay, so you weren't as young as young could be. Mm-mm. All right, sure, you're yeah. adults by then. Yeah, yeah. I just turned 20. And um, just really beginning life. Yeah. And um, Vernon had just started, finished college and was working. And we weren't ready to be parents. Um, and we knew we had to tell our parents, so we chose to tell my parents. And, of course, um, they weren't happy. Mm, mm. See, my, my parents, my father was a, a minister. And for some reason, we felt that it would be easier uh, sharing the story with her parents rather than broaching my, my parents with the story. Sure. So... Um, we told them, and uh, their response was... Very negative. Oh. They were not happy. And um, I thought for sure they were going to say, well, you're going to have an abortion. And so I quickly said, I'm not having an abortion. And um, then my father said, then we're putting the baby up for adoption. So they gave us really no choice. What, no. what did that feel like to hear those words? I felt broken. Yeah. I felt really, um, I felt that they didn't take the time to, to see how it was affecting me. Um, I knew that becoming pregnant was not the smart thing. Sure. Um, Vernon was working at the time. Um, for um, Pine Forge Academy. So, you know, 
the whole situation wasn't a good one, but I did not think my parents were going to tell me that that I had to give my baby up. And I've had people say, well, you were 20. You could have made your own decision. But when you're still living at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I had yet begun to work. I had just started. And um, I knew we needed more than just me if, we're, if I was going to keep this baby. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. So you both were from, 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 from good Christian families. Right. Your dad was a minister, so there was some added pressure there. You, you'd just begun working at a Christian high school, a church-run high school, so there's a little added pressure there. So what we, we're seeing kind of two sides of the same coin. You're, you're saying, I wasn't ready, yet your parents were the one who sort of made that decision for you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it. You were young. You were living at home. But as your friends have said, you said, you were 20. So... How did you wrestle through this when the decision seemed to have been taken out of your hands? Well, I guess it, it, we had to look at each other and see how serious we were right. with each other. Right. Were we ready to possibly marry and raise a family? Were we even at that stage in our relationship? And um, I think after Vernon and I sat and kind of talked about it, we realized as far as a relationship for the two of us, we couldn't really say that we were in love with each other, so we really wanted to be together sure. as a family. And um, so I think it was the easy way out <laughs> by just going along with what um, my parents wanted. Was it the right decision? To put no. your baby up for adoption? Not for me, it wasn't. No, it wasn't? No. Vernon, did, how did you feel at the, at the time? Well, at the time, because of social and religious pressures um, and the shame of it and so forth, I, I thought that was an option and, and probably the more viable option for, for us. Uh, but looking back at it, it was definitely not the right decision. And, and we'll tell you why in a moment. Because I, um, at the time, I, I felt I was not prepared. I was not mature enough. Although I was doing mature things, obviously I led to this, but I wasn't mature enough to, to you know, support a family and, and, and be a husband and a father. I grew up in an environment without a father, um, having been adopted at the age of eight from an orphanage in South Korea. Um, I had no father figure to, to help me in those formative years to, to see you know, how a father conducted himself. Although later, you know, I had my father that adopted me um, he was very loving, and uh, but I think the formative years set the stage for me, um, and that plays into later when we talk about our ministry. But I just wasn't ready, and uh, so we we went with the easier course at the time. So Debbie's parents were pretty certain, pretty settled. This is the road you've got to take. You've had a child out of marriage. We don't see a future for the two of you raising this child. We think, what did your parents think? 
we didn't tell them. Oh, now that's interesting. They never knew. I don't think we ever told them. We never told them. And, <laughs> and I don't know that it, they ever found out. No, not until Corey came into our life again. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you, you know, I, I, I guess I need to let the cat out of the bag a little bit here. We're going to get to the place where the son you adopted out ended up coming back into your lives. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a, a stunning story. So let me ask you this. Uh, you said you weren't ready. You also said adopting Corey out wasn't the right decision for you. How do you, I'm, I'm getting into crystal ball gazing here, but you've been asked this before, I'm certain. How do you see things going had you made the decision at 20 years old to keep your baby? Well, you know, after he was born, the doctor asked me, um, are you planning on seeing the baby at all? And I said, yes, I want to see him. And I also asked to have four days with him. And um, I think I needed to have a closure of it. Sure. And but when they brought him to me, I knew then that I couldn't. I couldn't put him up for adoption. I did not want to. It mm. was. I said no. I. I said whatever happens, Lord, you can help me because I couldn't do this. So I called home. And um, I was telling my parents, and then my father said, "If you keep that baby, don't you come home." You feel like he meant it? Yeah. Well, that would have changed things. Yeah. What, what would the future have looked like then? You'd have been on your own. It would have been on my own. What, what would your options have been? It would have been really rough. It would have been rough because I couldn't make him um, all of a sudden, now you're going to have to grow up at this point. I couldn't do that to him, and I didn't want to do that then to me or the baby. I wouldn't want him to look at us and say, I only had to do this because. So... I knew then that I had to go through with the adoption. Adoption is I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. So many people have been adopted and they've been given a new life and a new chance at life, perhaps in situations where things couldn't have worked out well in many, many situations. And adoptions is wonderfully healthy, life-changing thing. But for the, the family that adopts the child out, and really I want to talk about the mother, I think, because she's the one who's by far the most impacted. For the mother to adopt the child out, very often, it's a real difficult wrench of an experience, isn't it? Yeah, it is. What do you, what do you say to young well, women, young women who are contemplating adopting a child out and they're looking at the, the pros and cons and the should I's and shouldn't I's? Right. I, I would tell them to really, really look at their situation, um, see if there's someone else. I think maybe it took me off guard. My father's saying that I think had I had time to process it, I would have tried to see if there was may have been someone else that could have helped. And um, so I, I, that would be my advice. That if if you feel that um, you you can't go through with an adoption, that you want to keep your baby, but you're not sure how to do it, maybe reach out to someone else, someone that might be able to help you and guide you through. Um, um, what may be difficult or may not be difficult. We're getting to, I think now we're getting to some pretty deep, deep questions or really impactful questions. I want to ask you both, and either one of you can answer this. So a young woman is pregnant, finds herself pregnant. There's no father figure in her life here. No, 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 for the child. There's no, 
it, she's going to be on her own. And she's trying to weigh, I know this is very personal and very individual, but she's trying to weigh up, do I keep this child and try and raise him or raise her on my own, or do I adopt? What does that woman go through in her mind to try to come to the whatever the right decision is for her? Where's the checklist? Who do you talk to? It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing um, because often I sit back and try to think about what it would have been like for me had I stood up because I sometimes get after myself for not standing up. Um, but then, then it goes back with how would you have done it? How would you have raised him? Where would you have lived? You know, and I think that was the key thing for me. I did not want him to suffer because it was something that I wanted to do, but would have been the right thing to do. And so you kind of go back and forth. Um, your question got me thinking. Um, you know, I wasn't in this conversation with uh, Debbie and her parents. I was never brought in. I was ne- never made to be accountable. And oftentimes men perhaps get the easy way out and leave it to the woman to deal with. And I think that's, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it was their fault, but they certainly should have brought me in and uh, talked to me and talked to all of us to see what was the best path forward. Um, but I was never consulted. I was never reprimanded by them. Um, and I should have been. Mm, interesting you say that. So what happened in your relationship? So you, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Nine months later, a baby is born. What had happened to the two of you in that time? Were you still an item? Were you still seeing each other? Or did it just... Yeah, because fizzle? of Vernon's situation with work, I moved to Maryland to have the baby. I lived with my sister and her husband so that you know it wouldn't cause any conflict that way. And um, Vernon would come when he had a, a free time, he even a couple times brought my mother <laughs> to um, to see me and until the baby was born. And he was there uh, when Corey was born. Um, we were... <laughs> I, I felt somewhat responsible, certainly. Um, and uh, so I, I tried to be supportive in, in ways that I could or I thought I could. Um, but it was after the adoption went through and I saw the pain that she was in that I I looked at her and the situation a little differently. And five months later, you know, I felt the sense of responsibility at that point now, why why I couldn't have felt that earlier, but uh, I thought I needed to help her through this pain by being with her. Um, so I asked her to marry me. Now that's an interesting proposal, given this given <laughs> given the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I, I felt some responsibility, certainly a lot more than I. I did earlier on. Um, 
obviously I wasn't thinking when I went into the relationship with her and got her pregnant. And um, I certainly could have manned up, <laughs> though it, it, it would would have been difficult. Um, you know, the pay that we receive at an academy <laughs> is not uh, enough to support a family, really. I think it was $7,000 a year at the time. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that, that was not an excuse. And uh, so over that time, seeing her pain and so forth, I, I felt guilty. I felt that I needed to do something. And so I approached her and, and her parents about marrying her. And they gave their assent. And, and, and for you, was this like wonderful or, or was this, okay, that's the right thing to do? Where did, where did, where did duty and love converge here? It was confusing for me. Um, and I think part of me felt like um, yeah, you should make this right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's how part of me was feeling. Um, but the thing that I thought about mostly was if we get married, then I can try to get my baby back. And I, that's where my head went. We've got about one minute before we go to a break, so I want to ask you this. You're in the hospital, you're holding a baby, and you've got to give them up. Walk me through that. I talked with him every day. Every single day I talked to him, I wanted him to hear my voice. Because I think in my heart, I felt that one day I would see him again. And I wanted him to know my voice. Did you understand at that time that there would be a mechanism for you to find him? Did you feel like, did you believe or have reason to believe? Yeah. I hand him over, I'm going to know where he's going, who he's with, how I can find him. The adoption agency that we went through was an open. Um, it was um, an open adoption. And we had to write a letter to him telling him why he was put up for adoption and giving him the opportunity that if ever he wanted to meet us, he could. So I'm feeling that, you know, one day, and with Vernon now saying he wants to marry me, I'm going to. I'm going to get that opportunity to get my baby, you know, and I did try. You did try. I tried. We're going to find out more about this. I'm with Vernon and Debbie Newman, a wonderful story about giving a baby up and receiving that baby when an adult back into their lives. More in just a moment. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written, inviting you to join me for 500 Nine programs produced by It Is Written, taking you deep into the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. We'll take you to Wittenberg, and to Belgium, to England, to Ireland, to Rome, to the Vatican City, and introduce you to the people who created the Reformation, who pushed the Reformation forward. We'll take you to sites all throughout Europe where the reformers lived and in some cases died. We'll bring you back to the United States and take you to a little farm in upstate New York and show you how God spread the Reformation here. Don't miss 500. You can own the 500 series on DVD. Call us on 888-664-5573 or visit us online at itiswritten.shop. 
When they were barely out of their teens, Vernon and Debbie Newman found themselves as young parents. They adopted their baby boy out. Later in life, they reunited with their boy, and today they're working in ministry. So a moment ago, you were about to give your baby up, speaking to your baby every day in the hospital, but then comes that moment where this happens. What's that like? Considering, you know, it's one thing for a young lady who realizes this isn't going to work. Absolutely the right thing to do here is to adopt. And in many cases, young women will hand the baby over with gladness in their heart. You know, maybe a little sadness or something, but this is better for you. You didn't have that. You felt like, I wish this child could be in my life. So what what was that like to hand your baby over? Well, the night before, I asked if he could stay in the room longer than normal. And Vernon came that night and um, to say his goodbyes. And he held him, and then he started to cry. And at first it made me angry <laughs> that he was crying. Um, because in my mind I'm thinking, you can change all this right now. <laughs> mm. You can change this. Why are you crying? But um, after you know, he got over, and we talked about it, I think a little while later, about why he cried. And, um, you know, I, I was so wrapped up in my own feelings, I didn't stop to consider the war going on in him. And um, that night after Vernon left, and I still had the baby with me, I just told him, I said, we're going to be together one day. I don't know when, and I don't even know how, but we're going to be together one day. And that night... After they took him, that was a very hard night. I didn't get any sleep that night. And um, I started a prayer. And the prayer was, Lord, let my son want to know me today. I prayed that prayer for 29 years, every day. Every day? Every day. Yeah, because you hear people say, I prayed that prayer. So you really, you prayed every day? Every day. You had your baby over, you went home. Five months later or so, you're married. How often was this a, a, a topic of conversation? How often did this come up? We're going to see our boy again. Was this something you talked about a lot or you just didn't? We didn't. We didn't talk about I just, it. I kept it within my own heart. And what was going on in your heart, Vernon? Um, I, w- I, was, I was torn. Um, I certainly, the thought of, of trying to get our son back crossed my mind, but in my mind, once something is done, it's done. Uh, There's no going back, and that's where my mind was. Uh, For Debbie, it was was quite different. She lived it every day. Although, you know, she didn't share that with me very often, uh, if at all, but uh, she was going through her own Hell, yeah, that was day tough. By huh? day. Yeah. It was really tough, and when we, um, you know, I, I I had to really have a long talk with the Lord <laughs> because I I told him I I know that I had sinned, and at first I felt you know God wouldn't forgive me, but then I said, but you forgive, you do forgive, and um, so I just I just talked with God and I said, okay, you you're, you're going to have to give me strength to get through this, 
um, because I, when I tried to get him back, I called the orphanage, and I was told by the um, the director, social worker there, that um, it was better that I leave things the way they were. That the adoptive parents had already bonded, and that they could not have any children because that was the agency that we picked parents that could not have children. Okay. Um, and that I could have children. So basically, why don't you just go in and have more and leave this the way it was? So um, I did. I just I left it alone at that point. And so it was, a, it was a struggle for a good while. And, of course, we had children. We had two girls. And um, I was all about being their mother, everything was wrapped around them. Um, she was very protective really. of them, even from me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> she was not going to go through what she went through before. She was not going to allow me to hurt them. Not that I was going to in sure. any way. But that was her, I think that was what was going through her mind. She was very possessive of them. So something happened. You boys adopted out, mm. but you've written a letter that stayed on, on, in the, on the file. Mm. If you want to reach out to us, reach out to us. So something happened. So, so, so what happened to bring the three of you, the five of you, back together? What, what, what happened? Well, he was at work. We had moved now to... Um, the Charlotte area. To the Charlotte area. Oh, yeah. And... Um, we got a letter in the mail, and Vernon had a bad habit of when something looked important, not opening it. So I got in the habit of opening it and making sure it was something. And I said, oh, this looks important. I need to open it and make sure and then tell him, you need to read this. This is important. So this piece of mail came in from um, Washington, D.C., and I'm going, mm, this looks really important. And I opened it, and I start reading. And it starts off, um, we are looking for... Vernon Newman, um, who lived in Pine Forge in the year, and, and um, if this is you, could you please contact me? And I looked at this, I'm going, what, is, what could this be about? And they changed the name of the adoption agency, so I didn't recognize oh, it. Oh, okay, there was no connection Right, there. and so um, then I kept reading through, and I said, well, what, what would they want with Vernon? And then I looked at the date again, I mean the year and I said, oh, my Lord. I said, I think our son is trying to reach us. And, and so I called him at work. I said, we just got a letter, and I know it's from our son. You need to call this social worker. She wants you to call her, this lady's name. But he called. But it was in late afternoon, and by the time I called her, she had left for the day. You, you couldn't wait for tomorrow to come <laughs> fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day, I call her, and she says, the social worker says, uh, are you the Vernon Newman from you know, Pine Forge in the year 1979? And I said, I am. And she said, do you know what this is all about? And I said, I do. Um, it's about my son. And she said, he's been looking for the two of you for the past three years. Yeah. 
And uh, so, you know, I, I was, all the, the emotions were welling up in, in me. So I quickly said to her, um, I think Debbie is at home and she would love to talk to you. And so I hung up the phone and ran to the nearest <laughs> private place that I could find, which was a bathroom stall. And I just, you know, just broke down. And uh, it, it just felt at that moment that with him trying to reach out to us, um, that God was saying, I forgive you, and I'm, I'm going to make things right that you messed up. And so all of that just crashed down on me, and I just broke broke down. Before I ask you about your conversation with the social worker, Debbie, I want to ask you both about your relationship with God through this. Because you did something wrong, paid a very high price. There is a God in heaven, fully aware of everything you did, fully aware of what the Bible says, and you know it. How did this affect the way you viewed God. Maybe it did not. Maybe you grew in your understanding of God through this. What impact did this, the, 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 the set of circumstances have on your personal relationship with, with God? Well, I knew that I needed to get my relationship with Him right. And, um, and that was one of the things that I really prayed hard about, that God would um, take hold of me because now I'm not, it's just not me. I'm, I'm, I have these two little girls that um, need to know who Jesus is, and they need to see it through me. And um, my prayer life and my study life um, became really important, important to me. Um, and doing, um, I used to have this devotional book for women, and I, I went through that book so much that it literally it fell apart. And remember one time Vernon saying, I need to try to find you another one of those books. But um, I really tried hard in surrendering. Did you have issues? You know, your parents lowered the boom pretty, pretty directly uh, after they became aware of what had happened. Did you feel like like God accepted you? Did you feel the condemnation of God when you were walking through this as young adults? Did you were, you were you afraid to look in his direction or did you just throw yourself on him and say, I know you understand? No, there were moments that I was afraid to, um, to look upon God because I really, that part of me that really felt that, you know, um, because of how strong my parents, and I, I found out later it was more, mostly my father, um, found out later that my mother really wanted us to keep the baby, but my father was very strong about against it. So with that strong sense of, no, it's not going to happen, there were parts of me that felt that's how God felt too. Right. And that's natural, I'm sure. It's not necessary, but it's natural. For me, um, my relationship with God was Jesus-focused. Um, I had a difficult time, and, and I attribute it to my early, you know, formative years where, where I didn't have a father figure. 
I couldn't relate to God the Father. Sure. You know, I could I could talk to Jesus and and know that he understood and so forth, but I just could not. And then then I came to the point where I realized I'm supposed to be addressing my prayers to God the Father in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus told us to do in, in, in John. And, you know, I would do that. I used to pray, dear Jesus, but then I changed to dear Father, but it just didn't feel right because I didn't have a, a real good concept of who God the Father was. Sure. And uh, so when, when, when this happened with Corey coming back into my life, you know, I felt that Jesus was forgiving me, and, and, and that's part of what caused you know, me to shed tears. But I, I still couldn't, couldn't connect with God the Father. Mm-hmm. Okay. You spoke to the social worker. You told Debbie all about it. Now you've got a phone call to make or somebody's going to call you. Tell me about that. Well, the social worker called, and um, at first I was, like, hesitant to answer, but then I picked up the phone, and she said um, hello, and she told me who she was, and she asked if I knew what the conversa- what this call was about. And I told her, yes, it's about my son. And she said, how do you feel about it? I said, I have been praying 29 years for this phone call. Mm. And um, then that's when she told me that he had been looking for us for a long time. He had to go to court to get the uh, records open. We never got notification that they had all been sealed. And um, so he went to court. It took uh, two years of that to get the records open. And he wrote us a letter a year before, hoping that if they found any one of us, that we could have the letter. So she overnighted the letter to us. Um, he told us that he had gotten married, that we were grandparents, um, um, and that he, he told me everything about him, things that he liked, um, what he didn't like. and well, What's it like reading this for the first it was, time? Oh, it you know, was, y- yesterday, yesterday, you had a son somewhere. <laughs> no, no. Yesterday, you maybe had a son somewhere. He might not even be alive. Right, exactly. Today, you know what he's like, right. what he likes. Right. You have grandchildren. This is upside down or downside up. <laughs> it felt like I was giving birth again. That's what it, it felt like. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. And um, it, it was so amazing because all of his interests, the things that he liked, even down to the colors, was everything that we Yeah, this liked. is what I want to ask you. Did you go, oh, he likes raspberries. That's my favorite <laughs> yeah, fruit. And, yeah. Oh, who knew he likes baseball? I like baseball so yeah. much. Yeah. Did you have those moments where you looked at and, and you're seeing yourself yes. in this letter? Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um <laughs> You know, I was in software engineering at the time. Well, he he went to college to be an engineer. He was a network engineer. Oh, come on. I was driving a Maxima, Nissan Maxima at the time. He he was driving an Altima. <laughs> I said, this is just too too strange to be coincidence. Oh, this yeah. is genetics working here or something. Sure. Um, it was it was uh, it was an exhilarating. Moment, but there had to have been a, a ton of impatience here because it was. You, you got the letter. Can, can we can we stop by your house? Right, we'll leave now. <laughs> right, right, I mean, was, was it that? Or? It was just yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I then the social worker told me to write him back. Don't 
put my name in it and don't put where we lived. So that's what I did. We wrote and I told him, I answered every question that he had. He wanted to know if he was a big brother because he really wanted to be a big brother. And uh, I just, every question that he had in that letter, I answered for him. And um, then I, we overnighted the letter and I said to Vernon, I bet he's still in Maryland because it's coming too fast. Everything's happening real fast. And um, the very next day after he got the letter, and I'm thinking, he has to be. He got that letter just like that. And I'm mailing this to Maryland. So, um, because the social worker had to give it to him. And she called us and said, he no longer wants to work through me. He wants to talk directly with you guys. So we had to sign a paper saying that was okay. And um, we got to talk to him. By phone. By phone. Yeah. Sounded like we were talking to Vernon. Really? <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I picked up the phone... It sounded like I was talking to myself. It was, um, so. it was just surreal. And uh, I said in a very slow way, I said, this is Vernon Newman. May I help you? And that's when Debbie stepped he in. He was so <laughs> formal. I'm like, oh, no. Because at first, he, Corey sounded so excited. And then... He got really quiet because Vernon was so formal. And then I just jumped in. I said, hi. And he went, hi. Ah. Later on, you know what he told me? He said, mom, when you spoke, I knew your voice. I talked to him in the hospital. He said, I knew your voice. Wow, powerful. I, I, I can't wait to find out about the day you met, about the day they met. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm with Vernon and Debbie Newman and their phenomenal story. This is our conversation. More in just a moment. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. There's something I want to tell you about that is so important. It's my place with Jesus. It Is Written's ministry to children. Take the children you care about to MyPlaceWithJesus.com. At MyPlaceWithJesus, you'll find so much that will bless your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or the children at church. There are the My Place with Jesus Bible Guides, 21 studies that will take the children you care about into the Word of God. They'll learn the important things, especially the love of God and the sacrifice Jesus made for them. As well, take your children to Journey Through the Bible. It's there at MyPlaceWithJesus.com. It's a special Bible reading program that will get children into the habit of reading their Bible daily and connecting with God regularly. So don't forget, MyPlaceWithJesus.com from It Is Written. Welcome back to Conversations. Vernon, Debbie, you've spoken to your son on the phone. You know his name by now. Let me tell you about that, though. That, that, yes, do. I named him Corey Forrest Newman. They gave me his birth certificate, 
and that's what I wrote on, and I put it in an envelope and brought it home. I never told Vernon what I named him. Um, when I talk with a social worker, and when we all signed papers that we could talk together, and she gave us his address and phone number, she had on there Corey. And I thought, oh, how nice, because I had written her a letter and told her the whole story and that I had named him Corey. So I thought, oh, she's being nice to me. She's saying Corey. Sure. And, um, but when I got all of his information, that was his name, Corey. No one knew <laughs> what I had named him, but God knew. You mean his adoptive parents named him Corey? Gave him the same name? Gave him the same name. Oh, that's too much. So I said, God knew. And I was talking to my brother, and, and I said, Do you think that he would let me call him Corey like Vernon's mother, his birth mother, calls him by his Korean name? And my brother said, oh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He says, but you know, I have a feeling that's his name. Your and brother I, said that. My brother said that. All right. And sure enough, that was his name. That is his name. You spoke on the phone. You said, hey, we've got to meet you. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting that he'd been searching for you all these years. Right. That's really fascinating. Right. And uh, tell me about that meeting. Well, um, we, we tried to set up a time. I asked, when, when will I get to see you? And he said, what are you doing this weekend? Because this was on a Wednesday. He says, what are you guys doing this weekend? And we both said, waiting for you. <laughs> nice. Waiting for you. And I had forgotten that I was supposed to be speaking at a women's retreat that very weekend, that Saturday. And um, I called him and I said, look, you still come. I have to speak, but it's only an hour away. Your dad will be here. You can get time with him. So my girls took me because they said, Mom, you won't be able to drive. Right. <laughs> so... They took me, and they got to spend time together first. Um, when I got there, I, I had there was no real emotion, no tears or anything. I just walked over to him because it was look, it, I was like I was looking in Vernon's face because he looked so much like Vernon. Mm. And I just started touching him. I touched his eyes. I touched his nose. I touched his mouth, touched his hands, you know, and he just... Mom, I'm all here. You know, it was, it was just so real, you know, just having him there. I, I felt like I was holding that little baby in my arms again. And then we, after we all settled down, he got to meet his sisters. And watching the three of them together was magical almost. They were finishing each other's sentences. They started playing around like little kids, like they were making up for lost time. And um, they got along immediately. They were, it was like the three of them were one, almost. We, you met your son first. You yes. met Corey first. Yes, I was home, and uh, his car drove up. So I, I went out to meet the car in the driveway, and uh, he steps out. And, you know, I see a, a, an image of myself, you know, he, uh, he looks a lot like my Korean mother. Yeah. And so he reaches out to shake my hand, and I just ignored that hand, and I just, I just grabbed him and, and held on to him and uh, said, My son, my son, my son. I knew that, I knew then that the Lord had forgiven me. Um, 
What was it like for Corey meeting his dad? Um, I, I think he f- felt a little awkward. Um, but um, I, I think he relaxed a little bit when his mother got, got there. Yeah. 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 Um, our relationship isn't as close as it is between him and his mother. Sure. Um, and that's understandable. And, but um, we have a good relationship. Where do you begin? Hi, you're my son. I haven't seen you in 29 years. You've, you, you have a letter or maybe two, I don't know, you've spoken on the phone. Where do you, is there a starting place? He brought a big suitcase full of pictures. Oh. So we opened up that suitcase and we just started going through his life. He had pictures and I was able to give him his birth pictures. Nice. Because I had that and um, um, then he just started talking. He told us about his life. I asked why did he feel the need to find us. Yeah. And um, it, it broke our hearts to hear that he did not have a good relationship um, with his uh, adoptive parents. Um, matter of fact, when he found us, he hadn't even spoken to them in three years. I three years. It, it had been three years. And um, his mother was not very a loving mother. He said he doesn't remember one time that she ever held him and said, I love you. Mm. So, of course, we did a whole lot of that. that yeah, weekend. sure. No doubt. And, um, I have a picture of her in a rocking chair holding in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holding your little boy. Yeah, great. Yeah. But um it, it it broke our hearts because we got to choose these parents. Right. They gave us a list of parents and we tried to pick the parents that were similar to our family, had a mixed background, had um education wise was about the same and um and so it just it didn't that they were church going folks, you know, they had a relationship with God right. and they come to find out that wasn't that, so. that wasn't the case. Mm. You know, they were nominal whatever and Christians, mm. but they never took him to church. And that he knew at age five that he did not belong there. He said he would wait at the door hoping that one day I would come to the door. Or he would walk down the street as he got older looking for someone that looked like us. They never told him that he was adopted. Oh. They were supposed to. So he never got our package. He never got our letter. So when he contacted the agency, which his aunt told him that's where he was adopted through. Because he found out he got sick at 19. Grandmother took him to the hospital. The doctor asked for his medical records. And she said, I'll know he's adopted. But he said that was the best thing that ever happened to him. He said he actually felt better after that. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was his aunt that told him where to go. And once everything was final, he got the paperwork. He got to read our letter. Because we asked him, you know, are you upset with us? Do you need to know? And he says, no, I got the letter. I understand everything. Isn't it interesting that, that you've, been, you've been praying every day for 29 years? And your little boy, he's growing into a big boy and a young man and then a, a man. He's got that, that, that same longing in his heart. Yeah. It would have been very, very challenging if you'd reached out and, and you'd got her, I'm not interested. Right. That would have been so difficult. Right. I want to ask about his little sisters. So his little sisters grew up knowing that they had a big brother? 
I had prayed and asked God to tell me when it was time to tell them. And one day I heard them in the bathroom talking, and the youngest said, Sonia, don't you wish we had an older brother? And Sonia said, you know, it's strange, but for the strangest thing, I think we do. She said that? <laughs> so I said, okay, Lord. I went and got his baby pictures and took it in to them. And they, um, they started to cry. And I thought, are you upset with me? They said, no, we always wanted a big brother. Oh. So. So this yeah. was a thrill for them. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I want to ask you about ministry because now you, you, you draw on these experiences and you encourage others. How did you end up getting into, into ministry, into service? Well, remember I told you that I had to speak yeah. at the women's retreat. Yeah. Um, they had given me the title and topic. the topic. And I was, you know, praying, okay, Lord, give me what I'm supposed to speak on. And, and I wasn't getting anything. And then the whole thing started with Corey. The letter came and I had forgotten that I was supposed to be speaking. And so when I finally realized and remembered, it was a week before. And I said, Lord, I have to speak. What are you going to give me? <laughs> and he said, the Corey story. Yeah. The topic was on love and forgiveness. Well, Romans, Romans chapter 8. Yeah. And that was the, 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 the verse that he gave me. So I shared the story that day at the women's retreat. And that's a story that's going to touch so many people. And um, we've been sharing it ever since. Yeah. And we combined it with Vernon's story of adoption mm-hmm. and um, how God pulled us all together because eventually the whole family was pulled together. The kids all got to go to Korea and meet their grandmother. And it was, yeah, so God just took a whole thing and just brought it all together for yeah. us. See, I was adopted at age eight in 1961. For 40 years, I was not in contact with my mother. I didn't know if she was alive or not. Um, I had been uh, adopted at the same time with another boy, a little older. And so I, I searched for him. I knew he was in the state somewhere. I found him in Nashville. And uh, he told me that my mother had died. Um, he said that his mother had told him my mother had died. But I felt the need to still go back and find out where she was buried, pay my respects, and so forth. And uh, um, I I met a a Korean woman during this whole process who uh, was part of an organization called Korean Homestay, where they invite uh, foreign guests into their homes so they can get a taste for the culture and so forth. And uh, so when I went over there, um, she met me one day and took me to her home, made a Korean meal that I hadn't tasted in 40 years. Yeah. And she said, I hope this will help you remember. Come to find out that my mother was still living in the same village. She, this woman helped track her down. And she uh, called me from my mother's home and handed her the receiver, and uh, I heard for the first time in 40 years my mother's voice. Tell me about that. Calling my, my Korean name, Yun Bong, Yun Bong Ah. She, she was crying and sobbing on the other, other end. And a uh, um, few months later, we, I, I went over, and then, no, we, I bet we went together. Yeah, we went together after my initial trip. And then 
um, several months later, I took my daughters over as well. And then we did this thing of going back and forth. She came over to see us. We went back over to see her. And eventually I said, why don't you come live with us? And she did come live with us for a little bit, but uh, she couldn't. She missed Korea. Yeah, yeah. she was too old to change. And, that's, and, that's a and big change. Start a, start a new life and a new life. What a blessing for you to have that kind of reconnection with your birth mother. So then he was able to take Corey then to Korea to meet, to spend some time with her. Wow. In Korea. And then she came back so she could spend time with Corey here in the States. So it's been a good, good thing. Fantastic. Your parents, your adoptive parents, did they have any challenge about you reconnecting with your parents? In fact, parents? no. Uh, when, I, when I told my father that I was looking to find my mother, he was very helpful. Um, he, he handed over all the paperwork from the adoption. And he con- contacted the General Conference to see if they could locate someone in Korea and talk to somebody in the Korean Union. And so he was very supportive through the whole process. It was, it was really, really nice. They, they invited her to their home. And, and his mother, his adoptive mother said that they were sisters. Mm. They were sisters. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. God was good. <laughs> so today, after all of this, and, and you've reconnected with Corey, your son, What's what's your relationship like today? What is it? What's it like, and what does it look like? Uh, we talk almost every day, <laughs> sometimes twice or so a day. Um, he's a mama's boy, yeah. And um, we have three grandchildren from him, and um, we our goal was to introduce the Lord to him. We wondered if he had any at all, but he did because inside of him, he said he knew he needed to know who God was, so mm. he went to an uncle to say, could you take me to church? Well. So we now have family worship every Wednesday with all of our children on Facebook. Facebook time, is it called? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And um, we asked the, all of them, what topic do you want to talk about? And they wanted to talk about Daniel and Revelation. So that's what we're studying with the whole family. Awesome. Uh, so... God is good. Yes, he is. So let's talk about the goodness of God. Two questions I want to ask you. One is, how's your picture of God uh, evolved, developed, might be the right right word. How's that developed? You're a couple of scared 20-year-olds years ago and wondering what to do after your life took an unexpected turn. Of course, you've got to look up and say, how, how do I relate to God now? You've expressed some of that, but how has your relationship with God developed? How, how has this helped you understand God better? He's totally awesome. I see him in such a different light now. I see him as the loving God that he truly is and how he looks and he sees when we are willing to change, how he's there to help make that change. So often I felt that God wasn't there. I, I couldn't connect with him. And, you know, when, when all this transpired, I, I realized, finally, that God's been there all along, yes. directing, orchestrating all of this. Uh, you know, with the bad choices that we made, he was still being patient and guiding and directing. And uh, he orchestrated this beautiful reunion with my mother, birth mother, as well as with our son. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ministry, talk to me about what, what, what you're doing with, with ministry today and, and how people can contact you. Well, we realized with this story of forgiveness 
that there are other people out there hurting sure. that need to hear how God, even if it takes forever, because sometimes we pray and we think he's the answer right away. Um, but as you know, 29 years I prayed that prayer every single day, and God answered it. But he had so many other things he had to put together. And I just thank God that he gave me the patience to keep on praying. We wanted others to know about that. And we felt what better way is to share this ministry, mm. share this story. With all the things that are transpiring in the world today, we, we have a, a sense of urgency to share our message because so many people go to church and come home and they really don't have a personal relationship with God. That, that's our sense. And so we changed the name from Know the Savior to Know the Savior Today. Mm. And, uh, you know, John 17, 3 is our, is our scripture that we use. Uh, and this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And, and Sister White says, to know him is to love him. And so this is the message that we want to share because, you know, people who don't love God are not going to end up in, in heaven. Right. If somebody wants to find you online, where are they going to find you? KnowTheSaviorToday.com KnowTheSaviorToday.com God has given you a phenomenal testimony. He's been with you. It's a story of redemption, a story of divine leading and providence. God is good. God is good. Debbie Vernon, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for having us. (laughs) And thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. With Vernon Newman and Debbie Newman, I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation.